This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel. Immerse yourself in the heart of the city at the Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel, their prime location in the heart of San Francisco near Moscone Center and Union Square allows you to explore the city's culture and charm while enjoying elegantly appointed rooms and luxurious amenities. Host your next event in their beautifully customizable meeting rooms and ballroom while an elevated dining experience awaits you at their Loose Restaurant and Bar 888. We want to thank the Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel for sponsoring the Managing Budget Podcast. They hosted an epic podcast for us at their hotel in the Bay Area. And we got a chance to meet a bunch of Maradisas in San Francisco. That was awesome. So thank you for that. Coming up is the post-game show for the win over Celta Vigo. And without further ado, let's introduce the voices of Ray Hudson and Derek Ray. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. It is Saturday night, about one hour after Real Madrid go into Balaidos and defeat Salta Vigo 4-1 away from home and start La Liga with a six-point, quick six points. Two games, two wins, both away from home. Solid start to La Liga, um, and we got a lot to discuss. So joining me, Keon Sabani, tonight is Om Arvin. Om, how are you? Doing well. <laughs> Not That's it. Cash. That's all you got Doing for me well. tonight. Nothing like, oh, like you know, I really enjoyed this Vinicius skill. I enjoyed Mordrich's performance. Chuomeni stepped up. Nothing. I feel like I, I, I enjoyed a lot of things in that second half, but I feel like tonight's your night. After I saw you post that too many like chant video you did, like that's how I expected you to start the podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. So you, yeah, I, I'm maybe I'll put that clip at some point at the end of the podcast or something. But uh, that was actually from yesterday's Instagram story. And Lucas screen grabbed it and posted on his Twitter. And now it's where it might just turn into a meme. I'm not sure. Every time Chu and Manny does something, we'll post it. Um, yeah, it, it kind of just is on the back of like so many people asking. And, and look, I don't need to rehash it. Me, you, Sid, and Jose broke this down extensively on the Cas- Casemiro Emergency Podcast. But just as the fact that there's so many people who completely disregarded Chu many as even an option. Like the options they listed were like, okay, what do we do now? Do we put Alaba there? Do we put Kamavinga there? Do we put Fede Valverde there? Do we put Cruz there? And so that video was kind of a response to one of those questions. And I was just basically, my my brain was about to pop yesterday, just going through and answering this, the, the Casemiro questions on Instagram story. So that's from that. But anyways, that's that. Um, Chu many had a great game, um, but I'm curious to know where you want to start on. It's kind of like, in a way, classic Real Madrid of late, where first half is a little bit underwhelming, but the gears they can go to at certain points due to individual quality, but also the defensive structure has improved, I thought, over the last couple of games, or maybe like my prediction was that the defense will improve this season. Uh, I thought we've been pretty good in that department, all things considered. And also, just the five subs, man, no matter who comes in in the second half, 
especially when you're up 3-4-1 at that point and you see like Rudiger coming in to lock things up, then you got um, just no matter what combination of five players we bring in the second half, it just it's enough to ice it. So that's the situation we're in now. But I'm curious to know where you want to start with this one. I mean, we can get the boring stuff from the first half like off the table. I mean, it was just a really like, yeah, it did kind of feel like typical Real Madrid in a way like, the first half is kind of underwhelming and then maybe we do something at the end of the first to lift spirits, but really things take off in the second. Honestly, the first like 20, 25 minutes, I was just pretty disappointed with like the quality of play from both sides. Like it just felt like nothing much was really happening, you know, and from Celta's point of view, you know, not having Dice Mendez, not Danish Suarez, I think big blows. Uh, Dice Mendez obviously haven't gone to Real Sociedad like, I, I'm really interested to see how Celta coped this season and what they look like because Jose and I were talking about them after the game and I was talking about they, they didn't look like the usual Celta throughout the course of 90 minutes, right? In the sense that they're usually so vertical. The like tempo that they play at is so high. And even though we like get the results versus them, it's never that comfortable. And we always end up kind of looking sort of exposed in a way. And I'll, I'll get to maybe some things from Ramadan's perspective as to why that was the case. It just didn't feel like, wow, this is the cell time used to. And it just felt like everything was at a much more considered pace. And yeah, that was a bit strange to see. And then, yeah, Ramadan were starting off very slowly. Um, I think obviously we, we got a lot better in the second half and goals ended up not being a problem. But I think when you see the theme of how heard and you know, the transition-based nature of the, the, the last two goals. Like, I, I really feel like we were missing Kroos to an extent in terms of our possession game, right? Like, going, like, 25 minutes or so, we're, like, just the, you know, it's a random penalty, right? A random handball from a set piece that leads to the penalty. And also, that was the case from Celta, right? Like, there was just nothing much going. It felt like we needed a player who could really establish a proper rhythm over the game and get Real Madrid going in some kind of way that actually made sense, right? And I think in these sorts of moments, right, this is where, like, with Kroos, it's easier when you don't happen to see what you're missing and you're taking for granted, right? Again, this idea that this is it, you know, Kroos is, you know, his his position is gone. Like, he does things we don't need. Like, I don't really buy that. I will say, though, going back to this idea of not looking by themselves, I think maybe, like, 15 to 20% of it had to do with the fact that Kamavinga and Chuameni were the two defensive players who were the ones who had to keep track of like the double number 10 type thing that Celta do, like this 4-2-2 thing, 4-2-2 thing. And, you know, they're wide, you know, kind of like attacking midfielders or whatever, however you want to call it, Servi and Oscar Rodriguez, like they didn't really get into the type of areas you associate with Celta. And part of that is they're not Bryce Mendes they're not Denis Suarez, but the other part of that is I just thought Chuameni and Kamavinga did a really sharp job of, you know, both looking at each other and saying, all right, these are the major threats. These are the ways, this is the way Celta likes to play. Let's shut them down. And as kind of a reaction to that, sometimes players are going to go wide to get space to receive the ball. And when that happens with Celta, the entire way they play is destroyed. So I'm assuming a lot of this podcast, especially when we get to the second half, is just going to be too many Kamavinga stuff. So that I'll like, I'll, I'll just keep talking about them throughout the podcast. But that was kind of the first thing I really noticed about them. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, in terms of like the pressing structure, because I think in our deeper block, the fact that Shumeni and Kamavinga were so, you know, they paid attention to everything. It looked quite nice. I don't know. I still saw like mostly the same things I see with the press, right? Like one particular sequence where, was it like the 35th minute or something? Vinny steps up press with the front two. Mendy has so much space to cover to get to the right back. They find an easy option and then they play in behind. And like the right back was kind of always there. I don't think that's really going to change. I think the fact that we have better defensive personnel will just lead to, you know, better execution over time. But like, for me, the mechanics are kind of flawed and whatever. Like I've accepted it at this point. That's just Real Madrid under Ancelotti. The truth is that we're good enough most of the time for it not to really matter. I think that was the case today. Although we really only saw Real Madrid's like true superiority come in the come in the second half. So, yeah, that should kick things off for you. I think <laughs> it's it's only that when, every time you start the podcast with something like that, which is like touches on a million things, and you hand it off to me, I never know what to do because I'm I'm just like okay, do I discuss this part of what he said or this part, and I'm not sure really sure where to take off. But I'll, I'll take off in like the last oh, thing. Man, you said. little feels. What's that? On Las Blancas. When I'm the one, imagine how Grant Little feels on Las Blancas when I'm the one running the show. You should be grateful that at least you have some control here. I sympathize with you, Grant and Yash. I'm sorry that that, that happens to you regularly. Um, So I'll go with the last thing that you said, and that was you touched on the press. And I think you saw, like, there were clear signs of intent with the press to try to win the ball high up the pitch. And, like, there was one in the 15th minute where we actually ultimately ended up winning the ball. But there was a clear moment of confusion. It's in the 15th minute. I think it's like you can clearly see Vinicius where he's, there's a complete open passing lane open for Celta coming out of the back, and he doesn't know where to go exactly. And there's a little, just a moment of confusion that I thought summarized the Ancelotti pressing structure in general the last year and a half or so or whatever, is that there's just a lack of cohesiveness. Now, I know, like, so you... I feel like I might be a skeptic in terms of can we figure this out or not. And obviously there's a big discussion to be had now that I think is more legitimate even than it was 24 hours, 48 hours ago since we had Casemiro in the team where, you know, we had this whole discussion about if Cruz is going to be an anchor and, and it's not something we necessarily entertain every game. But given that Carlo Ancelotti has talked about it in the press conference and sees him playing that role really well and also brought up the fact that in the 2014-2015 season, they won 22 games in a row with him there. And then we discussed as a group yesterday that, well, if you're going to do that, you're going to want to press and control more like you did in 14-15 and not rely on transition defense with Cruz as your anchor. And uh, yeah, and so the reason I bring this up is that because of that, we, we, we theorize that maybe the press is going to be a real thing this year and not something that was put on the back burner like last season. So you're skeptical, I think, of like, I don't know, using your own words, the mechanics of it and how it, how each piece of the puzzle kind of fits together and forms a synergistic, synergist, synergistic web of defensive structure that actually doesn't get its lines exposed and doesn't get bypassed easily with one or two passes. Um, but I think maybe just to be more optimistic about it, I guess. <sighs> When I was going back last season, the beginning of last season, I was writing a column in the summer, and I went back and watched the early games from last season when Ancelotti was pressing. They were doing it at such a high volume that in between all of the terrible pressing sequences, there was like always like 
less than a handful of really good ones. That's just sheer math, right? You you basically you uh, you do enough things, and some of the time it'll just be really good. And I think maybe the case for it to be better this year, if they do decide to do more pressing and be a bit, be a bit more aggressive, is could you? Do you think the team now is more cohesive than it was back then in the early stages? I mean, that team featured Bale and Hazard on the wings uh, earlier in the season. And now you have maybe younger legs in midfield. Maybe uh, the the players are more familiar with Ancelotti. They kind of have a better idea of how this would work. Are you? Does that part of it give you any more optimism? Or are you still skeptical about the whole thing? I mean, I, I, I think based on the fact that Ancelotti has his lineup decided, based on the fact that we have more hardworking defensive talent in the team. I mean, look, the period when we had like Hazard and Hale in the 11 doing the press was like the worst, right? That was when it was most untenable. And I don't think we're ever going to get to that point where it's just like truly like an embarrassing, like four to five game like, oh my God, this is like amateurish. But unless the scheme itself changes, I don't think we're going to get to the point where we're like, wow, this is just buttoned up. And this is like, this is exactly how we want to see it. It's, you know, tactically perfect. I, I just think the way we go about it is flawed, right? And the way we do it is basically the same every time, right? For whatever reason, Vinicius is the one who comes to form the front two, which leaves the fullback free, which someone has to adjust to that. Usually it's Mendy coming over, and that creates a domino effect where you just have to execute so perfectly on that left-hand side to prevent things from being opened up that it just makes things tougher. Maybe Carlo has a good reason for doing that. And there's some reality in terms of who wants to do what work and who doesn't that I'm not aware of. But the way Zidane locked it down in his final years was someone steps up from midfield to join Benzema, right? Either it was Modric or Kroos. And it was just more stable, right? Like, you know, you theoretically left a free man in midfield, but you cover shadow that option. All the, the fullbacks, you have access to them at all times. And it was just easier to manage. The thing is, Carlo has pressed like that before in other systems. So I don't know why that's never happened at Real Madrid. Like maybe I can point out like two games last season where we did that. But otherwise, it's always this thing with Vinicius. If that doesn't change, to me, there's just a ceiling to how good it can get because I just think it's a fundamental flaw with the scheme and it just relies on execution. That can be variable, right? Like there were some games, especially in spurts in the Champions League, where everyone was just so locked in and it just came together, right? Like versus Chelsea was like the main one in the first leg, right? So yeah, I mean, that's just how I feel about it. And look, like, I don't mean to keep bringing it up again and then, um, you know, like, look, when it affects things in the game, we'll mention it. But like, I just, I'm at a place where I'm like, this is what it is. I don't think the scheme will change. It's just how much does it hinder us? And like, look, in the aggregate, in most cases, we're so talented. And, you know, by adding Chiuameni and having Kamavinga on the lineup, it's just the case that we can probably live with like three to four breakdowns and get away with it. And it, whatever happens, you know, from, from all the, all other parts of our game is more impactful. And so like, yeah, that's just where I'm at at the moment. Let's see. I mean, I think what does give me a little bit of hope is that in the champions league last season, the second half, when Angelotti made the subs brought on those younger legs, the pressing actually did improve. And, and you could, you could say that there's definitely a correlation there also with that being, at the end of the game, younger legs coming in, the opposing team has been pressing all game. Maybe they've gotten tired, so it, it could be a bit of bit of both. But um, we'll see where it goes. But you also oh, mentioned, 
Mm. The, the times when it did work was when Kamavinga came over and saved it. And yeah. like, I don't think that's something Kroos could have done. So, I mean, that's, I think to me, that's if you want to go the positive direction, it's that Kamavinga is going to have a larger role this season. And if he's going to play, be playing one of the interior roles, there's, we literally don't have, have a better defensive presence. And so he can just stitch things together and make things work. So on that note, that's a great segue because the other big theme in this game was the fact that Chiuameni and Kamavinga were, were pretty awesome. Like I could actually, if I wanted to, I could probably nitpick a couple things that Chiuameni didn't do so well. I did think like maybe he, he's the kind of player who kind of grew into the game. And wow, shocking. Uh, a player getting more comfortable in his scheme looks better. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shocking theory, I know. But he, he did look better as the half wore on, but also as the game wore on. And I think maybe to, early on, Celta, to me, rightfully wanted to put him under pressure to see how he would do. I mean, spotlights on him. As a, he's a younger guy. Everyone's looking at him to be the Casemiro heir. And I think Celta were right to try to try to make them as comfortable as, as they could. There were maybe a couple times he he gives the ball away under pressure. But generally speaking, I thought he was pretty calm. And funny enough, it was more our right wing that was giving the ball away under pressure. It was Carvajal and Fede Valverde. And Fede Valverde had one of the weirdest games. I can ever remember from him. It's probably his weirdest game ever. We'll we'll get into that. But too many um, defensively read everything really well. He was intercepting the play. He was covering in both half spaces. He was there in zone 14. He was winning the ball, which is something he's been really good at in his entire young career in France. And on top of that, he was actually putting nice balls into the box. He had three key passes at halftime. I think it ended up still being a game high by the end of it. And uh, I, I thought the other thing he did really well with Kamavinga in particular, who, as you noted, was good defensively. Kamavinga also, like the way they're stationed together, Chuomeni can look up with one or two passes and play that vertical pass to Kamavinga, who's right in front of him, positioned between the lines perfectly. And I think that synergy between those two has looked good so far. And I'm excited about it moving forward. I think it it's early signs on but there is a bit of a glimpse into the future with something that we had hoped for between those two moving forward that I think we kind of got a glimpse of it today yeah and I think a glimpse of the future is the right word uh, right phrase because like with that final goal it's Kamavinga coming over and I don't even know how to describe what he did, but like hooking the ball away somehow, like he made, he made a tackle like skillful as hell and Chiuameni comes over and both of them together, clean it up, launch the counter attack and off goes Vinicius and Benzema like slips or something. I don't know what happened. And then Fede ends up scoring, which just makes his performance even funnier considering the way he played beforehand. But I think it's not just a glimpse of what uh, Kamabinga and Chiuameni can provide but also a glimpse of the direction of where the team might be going, which I just think is more transition-oriented. Like, I think it was very obvious, especially in the first half, we did miss a lot of Kroos, the, the purpose that Kroos gives us in a possession. And even in the second half, it's not like we were suddenly, like, the way we were playing in slow build-up was, like, dramatically different or more improved. Celta got more desperate. They came on to us. Chuameni and coming a clean-up. I mean, even the third goal, right? It's with Chuameni coming into the box. Great, like, I guess, interception, I guess. And then helps us play out. And, you know, Modric finds v Vinny with a beautiful ball. I don't really know what Celta were doing from a rest defense perspective and how it got so open. But 
you know, turnover, Modric plays the pass, both both goals mini going in behind. And I think that's the path forward, right? Because at a certain point, there will be a midfield without Kroos. There will be a midfield without Modric. And sure, maybe we want another player to add a different kind of balance there. But with Chuameni and Kamavinga playing together, with the talent that we have up front, like Vinicius, with someone like Fede or even Rodrigo on the side, this is a team that just is built for offensive transition above anything else. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a little glimpse into the future. It was a nice glimpse into the future. It was, a, it was a glimpse into kind of like a little bit of a different way of winning. It's not like we've never we've never scored counterattack goals with Modric and Kroos in the team, but we didn't necessarily control the game much in this one, which was a little weird, but we just were lethal, right? I mean, we, we were buttoned up. When we were in our deeper block, Kamavinga and Chumeni took care of everything, and then Modric kind of did his thing on the other end. Yeah, and to be quite honest, I don't know how much I care about "quote unquote" not being in control of of a game like this because it it still felt comfortable and it felt professional. And I think it's going to be hard to be in control at all times throughout a, a league title winning campaign. And you just got to grind it out sometimes. And I thought like once you got past a certain threshold, I mean, to me, like so, like. It was, as you said, neither team was really playing particularly well in the first half. What gave us a little bit of breathing room was the penalty, which, by the way, Chuameni nice sleep on that set piece. He rises and the ball comes down and the Alaba shot is off Tapia's arm. So that that gave us a lifeline. Not a lifeline. Uh, it's not the right word. It's more like just breathing room in a, in a game that was kind of ugly to start. So that gives us a little bit of a uh, a good start to the game. And then obviously the equalizer with Militao. And then after that, I thought where the game turned was that moment of mortgage transcendence, which was the goal. And I think once that happened, you you really started to see, not that you needed to see it, but you started to see the talent gap between the two teams, just like you did against Almeria. There's just a gear that we can go to. There's an individual brilliance that we can go to, and there's just a bunch of depth we can go to in the second half. And I think teams just kind of get deflated. Like, imagine, like, you're down 3-1. It was 3-1. Oh, it was 4-1 at that point. I think it was 4-1. You're down 4-1, and then Rudiger comes in to, like, protect the back line. Like, how do you even react to that? That's got to be, like, demoralizing to see that. Um, and I think that's hard for teams. And I don't know what Salto were doing on, like, any of the goals they conceded, but they just opened up, and they were getting worse defensively as the game wore on. That It, it just opened up for us in transition. And quite frankly, uh, I think 4-1 is a, a fair result. And um, I also think it could have been worse than that for Salta, to be quite honest. But it wasn't. But... Um, do we want to talk about the Militao handball? I mean, I don't know what to say about it than ask what was he doing. (laughs) I don't understand. I don't understand why you have to have your arm there when you're leaping is, is my question for sure. Yeah, I don't know. That's all I have said to say about it too. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to jump on the the Militao error prone bandwagon, but it's kind of true that he does leave us with these silly mistakes and cost us goals throughout the season. So it is a problem. But um, Rudiger is just to me a starter. I don't even know how you you can spin it any other way. I just maybe it's just a way of easing him into the lineup or whatever. But uh, so that's part of that. Um, yeah, go ahead. You want to jump in? 
Well, yeah, maybe the deal is that every time Rudiger doesn't start, he gets to play like 10 minutes at right back. And like, that's just written into his contract and that's how he accepts it. Like you kept saying like Rudiger came on to button things up, which like, I wouldn't say that's wrong, but like when Rudiger came on, like he was so offensive. <laughs> it's it, it it's was like, like letting go of a raging like... bull who was locked up. <laughs> he just kind of just went out there. He's like, "I'm just going nuts right now." That's not that. He's so funny, man. That sequence that led to the last penalty. It was funny, but it also was incredible. Like it was really remarkable. Like it was just the way he advanced the ball up the field and his ball progression, and then his he and then he. Passes and then I think it's Fede who passes the through ball to him again, right? And he latches onto that. I mean, it's just he's an incredible player, man. He's really great. Yeah. Um, can you describe the Modric goal, or is it beyond words? You want to take a crack? Uh, I mean, just it amazes me how Modric gets separation for those shots when like there's not really any physical superiority to be had right and like people like will often say well you don't really need it i mean it's not true if you look at the players who get separation more than anyone else like really explosive they're vinicius jr they're killing Mbappe, you know they're prime Lionel messi whatever right and modric especially at this stage in his career like he's not getting a step on anyone and the fact that he just is always able to is amazing to me and it's it's really just about the shoulder drop. On on this occasion, it was really dramatic because I think it was Tapia, right? Just like fucking like falls, just like his legs collapse and Modric gets him and that's how he opens up. But a lot of times he has to do it three, four times to like, like gain tiny minuscule advantages to finally be able to open up and go for it. And then when he does, like it's just pure technique, man. That's my favorite type of long range strike where it looks like it's just about to kiss the post. And then it just curls inside and only hits net, just the the side of the net. And I don't know, I don't know why like that particular type of goal is so aesthetic to me. I mean, usually it's like top corner or going off to crossbar. And I mean, obviously those are nice to see, but that particular one, it's just like, I don't know, maybe it just says something about just how accurate the strike ended up being. But that was just that was a nice way to kind of wake me up and like wake everyone up from a match up until that point, which is kind of like, eh, you know, like all oh, this feels. I, I felt like when where's the key on how's everyone doing tweet coming in? I think and it came before that. that goal. Yeah. Oh, okay. It definitely came before that goal. Um <clears throat> it's his trademark, right? It's the shoulder drop, fake shot, keep cutting, and then curl it near post. And this might be ha- have been the best one he's done, unless my memory's not serving me right. Like obviously the Manchester United one is the de facto most important one, but the this one was more spectacular to me because of just the way it dips and the way he just dropped that uh, poor Tapia guy. Uh, it was just really incredible, and and he just like throughout the game, it wasn't just like a moment of individual brilliance from Modric. He he set the tempo of this game. Awesome performance from him. The assist to Vinicius, who by the way we should probably talk about now. Um, I did want to kind of introduce Vinicius into this podcast in a different way. The continuing theme of 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 him being alone on the left flank. I was a little bit surprised when I was checking the data after the game and, and realized that Ferland Mendy had 82 touches 
which was the second most of anyone on the team. And I, I, I'm i curious to know what your notes on Mendy were because to me that was like a very quiet 82 touches. Like I didn't really notice him doing much because my analysis of what was happening was that um, Vinicius was having a great game, but he was again by himself. And a lot of onus on his shoulders again to like beat one or two players and make something work. And obviously, you know, he, he got the better of Hugo Mayo and everyone else was on that wing. Uh, and Salta threw multiple bodies at him. But I'm curious to know what your Mendy notes were in this game. And then we can use that as a segue to talk about Vinicius. Yeah, I don't really have much. I mean, there was one moment where coming out of the press, like he had a nice ball carrying action, like hit it, like kind of in his classic way, takes a big touch, beats the challenge, went out of it, and we were able to like retain possession. But I don't know if it's interesting, but if you look at his heat map, like it's split into like two clear zones, like one huge, you know, kind of blotch in his own half, and then another decently sized blotch, like leading up box, but nothing actually going like on the overlap or into the box or anything. So it's almost like it's just completely like siloed into like maybe like some entry into the final third, going back to the defensive third. And I just think that was like a factor of Real Madrid getting more and more dominant over the game. Carvajal's is even more interesting because he has like barely any touches in like the in in this in the opposition half. It's way more sporadic and like his game was just so weird. I don't even know what to say about it. I don't know what was happening on the right flank. Maybe like there was some you know chemical wafting up from the grass that just made that entire flank like so weird. But yeah, I mean Vinicius, man, like. I almost felt like he wasn't even taking the game seriously. Like, obviously that's not true, but like, I just got that impression because like every touch had to be like the most amazing trick you'd ever seen. Like I was, does he like respect like Celta's defenders? What's going on here? And like, some of the times it was actually leading to like lost possession. I was like mildly getting annoyed. I was like, all right, Vinicius, like, I know you're insanely good, but like, it's not like the team is playing that well. He just kept doing his thing, trying every trick in the book. And so, of course, when Modric ends up playing him in, he can't go past the keeper normally. He has to do a little imitation of a Ronaldo Nazario and, and you know, do a step over and follow it. And it was a little different because he follows the step over and goes that way. But it, it was in the same spirit as he talked about the press conference afterwards and he finishes. I mean, overall, like another performance where when you just go back and just start looking at the goals, like Vinny is just involved in them. He's involved in the danger moments. And I do think he's gotten to a point where his confidence is so high that he's like, well, I, I need to entertain as well. This is too easy for me. <laughs> like let's, yeah. let's up the challenge. Let's, let's move the sliders up and, and let's make this more difficult for me. Yeah. Well, but when you said he wasn't taking it seriously, I know exactly what you meant. It was, it was in, it's in a good way. It meant that he was out of his head. He was playing within the flow of the game. Naturally the game was coming to him. He wasn't forcing anything and everything was decisive. Like it was, he wasn't dabbling on the ball. He was quick to cut in and shoot. His defending on the flank was really good. That should be noted too. Like he was actually working really hard defensively on the wing. And uh, everything was just flowing effortlessly for him. You mentioned the, and, and also obviously the goal, that the, the amount of confidence he had on the breakaway to do the, the Nazario special, which is the step over and cut outside and go around the keeper. Um, the right flank is interesting because, yeah, it is weird. I think maybe... Carvajal and Fede had something in their water before the game because they were giving the ball away. And uh, and 
Fetty, Fetty has like a clear before and after. Before before the goal, I don't know what he's doing. And the free kick was hilarious. And uh, I'm not really sure if I've ever seen a free kick like that. A lot of theories about why he did, hit it like that. There's a common theory that I actually buy into is that maybe he was just giving a tribute to Casemiro and he was passing to Casemiro's ghost in the anchor role. Um, that that's one thing I'll ride with. And um, and then he scores a beautiful one-touch goal, and he caps it, and then he, he seems to just all of a sudden kick into gear and become Fede again. So there's that. But one thing I noted that was interesting, Om, because a lot of comments that, I've, that I saw was that, you know, we don't do anything on the right wing. We don't, we don't use it. <laughs> like, we don't switch it. It doesn't go there. Like, everything is on the left. It's predictable. Um, and I just I took note of something that happened in the... 55th minute where Benzema does this thing where he doesn't do that often but he sometimes just goes to the right and combines with the right winger and he did this one-two movement with Fede and all of a sudden we got in the box in the right wing and that was like the first time that Fede had anyone to link up with in the in the half space and naturally because Benzema has always his whole career just been towards the left our I think that's part of the reason why our play is so much to the left other than the fact that our left winger is more talented than our right winger but that's kind of been the case. Um, so I don't know if you had any thoughts about that, just the way we funnel possession on one side. Is there a way to get more out of the right wing, etc.? I just, I think it's always going to be like that until we have the talent kind of equalized. And it makes it even harder when Fede is out there because he might get a lot of on-ball touches out there at times but like off ball he tends to roam inside he tends to be an auxiliary central midfielder and that can leave Carvajal as the only guy out on the flank where it just leaves like an underload out there right and I think it improves when Rodrigo comes back and I don't know exactly how he slots into the right now because it's a bit weird right because you know Carlos is going to start the Champions League final in the Super Cup and then he had a game of rotations and then Rodrigo is injured. And so I don't know exactly how he sees him. My option was he was going to be the starting right winger, but it's been all Fede so far. But if Rodrigo comes back, I think he just offers more as a true right winger that would attract the ball to that side. But it's just always going to be this way when Vinicius and Benzema is on that side. And when Kroos comes back, it's it's going to be even more biased to the left again because he conducts everything. Um I think, though, specifically with this game, especially as we went into the second half, Kamavinga started taking over in terms of a lot of his passing sequences. I mean, Celta really, like, committed to the press. And Kamavinga started to look so good that that made our play go to the left more often because he was really finding a synergy. I mean, I don't know. We can talk about Kamavinga after this if you want, but that's just kind of how I see the, you know, the the left-sided bias. And as long as we have this kind of core talent that we do, I, I just think that's kind of how it's always going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's going to be like that for as long as I think Benzema's in the team at the very least. But certainly, like, if Rodrigo comes back, it's a different dynamic as well. And when he comes back, it'll change. Um, I, In terms of Kamavinga, I don't really... I mean, I think, I think I've said what I need to say about Kamavinga and that he was great combining with Chuomeni in the build-up, but also between those two the amount of ground they covered the tackling was great for both of them there was that one moment in the second half uh one second my i think my son luca really wants to say hi because he's tapping my face in the podcast luca do you want to say hi say it. hi say hala marid 
Hello, Marty. Okay, thank you. All right. So, uh, the one thing I will say about um, yeah. I don't know. You have to. You have to do that on your own. You can play. Um, so the thing about Kamavinga to uh, that second half. Remember that risky pass from Courtois. I think it was. Let me look it up. Forty seventh minute when Courtois plays that risky vertical pass to Kamavinga and Kamavinga slips and he can't get to. But then he recovers really well. I think there was a chance there that Salta could have almost scored an empty net there. That was a really good recovery from him to save that sequence. But yeah, what else do you have in Kamavinga? Yeah, I mean, just just more general points, really. And I, one, I'm like always going to be so shameless with this, but like using any performance like this to vindicate my argument that this is where he should be playing as like an interior. Like I just think Same. it frees Agreed. him up, just frees him up to do all the things he's so good at. Right when when you play him at a single pivot or anywhere else, like you can tell like he just has to take a beat trying to figure out everything that he's doing. And it's just not all clicking for him because not all the tools are quite there. What I saw as he grew into the game was a guy who was just doing everything so instinctively. This may have been his most instinctive performance as a starter for Real Madrid in terms of the completeness of his game. Obviously we've seen him, you know, score goals and stuff like that, but in terms of minute to minute influence, this is where I think you get the best out of Kamavinga. And there's really two things here. One, I really started to enjoy as Celta started pressing higher. The way I, I, it's really like actually like quite surprising to me how quickly Kamavinga and Chumen have managed to pick up the synergy. But when they were building up deep, Chumen would take the right. Kamavinga would drop off and just be so aware of those who are coming to press behind him and play these little flicks to Mendy out wide. Just be ready to get us out of the press so quickly. The second part of it that I liked is, and this is something that not all players can do because because one, they might not have the awareness. Two, they might not have the technique. And three, they physically just aren't able to do it because it needs to happen so fast. Is that when he plays that first pass deep receiving versus the press, almost always he turns and he's away, moving forward, looking to take the space behind the player he just attracted. And that needs to happen so quickly because if you're just doing that as a player who doesn't have the mobility, you're destroying a short buildup option, right? You're ruining like a rigidity in the structure that provides security. And for, for a combination down the field, that will disappear and it makes no sense. Kamavinga is able to do it in tune, instinctively that when he does it, it's just like, it just shreds, you know, a press in one move. Obviously, Celta were not pressing particularly well, but this is something that Kamavinga has done, you know, consistently throughout his short career. And he just he's just so good at it. Like, super aware of who's behind him play that first time pass, swivel, make the move in behind, and then, you know, foment combinations down the wing, maybe carry the ball forward, maybe like three or four times in the second half where it just looked really nice. And the way he moves up and down the half space, it's just, it's like where he was born, you know, like, like I don't know if you saw that beat about like, was it Espanol? Like the newborn baby was born or something. And like, I don't know if he was born in the stadium emergency or like they brought him to the stadium at like his first game. It was like Kamavinga was just born. I don't know in what stadium, but he was born on the half space of a pitch because he just understands how to move and manipulate that area of the pitch just so well, which is pretty rare for a young player because it, it's a hard place to be because you don't have the comfort of the touchline and knowing that's your limit. You're not in the center where everything is in front of you. You're always playing like on the half turn and that's where you're super comfortable. So yeah, already like said way too much about a singular performance but as i said i'm going to be shameless about this 
No, this is I. I'm completely on board with the shamelessness of this. If it's Kamavinga praise, we can go. Like, there's no time limit on it. Maybe we have to pace ourselves, but you know me, I I love Kamavinga, Kamavinga so much that I I I think this is all great. It was it was an excellent monologue. I do think the movement with the half spade. There is a certain instinctual, natural, cerebral understanding that he has of the game of of how to break lines on and off the ball. Um, and I, you know, it was apparent right away that. First, remember that pass against Inter Milan where he had that one-touch pass? I think it was whoever scored the ball in the box. I'm not sure. I don't remember who it was, but yeah, he was just in that space, ready to receive the ball, and he knew exactly where he needed to be. And he has he has the talent. He has the IQ. He has everything. Um, one thing that Ancelotti said that was interesting after the game, not directly related about Kamavinga, but Chiuameni, this was interesting because after the Almeria game, Ancelotti said that, this was not the Chuomeni and Kamavinga he had seen in training. And today, after this game, he said that, quote, Chuomeni uh, has different qualities to Casemiro, but today he played very well. He showed what he has been showing in training. And then he said, without the ball, he defended well. He did well defensively with Modric and Kamavinga. So one of the criticisms that Ancelotti had uh, after the Almeria game that he, uh, or no, sorry, in yesterday's press conference before this game, he said that, Chuomeni needs to improve his positioning. So he was high praise of Chuomeni's positioning today off the ball. So I'm just curious to know if you've had anything to add on, on, on that part of it. Yeah, I, since I haven't really talked about Chiu, what I thought about Chuomeni's point as a whole, I guess I'll just use that to do that. I mean, I, I guess positionally he was better because he was just better than he was versus Al Maria. The weird thing, though, with his performance is I wasn't as blown away by it as everyone else, you know, like, and the reason being, because I just, this is what I expect his normal level to be. I thought it was a very good performance. It's just that to me, it wasn't so much of a shock. I mean, I don't know why it was a shock to people, like, or why there was necessarily that reaction, probably because of everything that had gone into the discourse coming into that one. Um, But to me, it was just like, not necessarily shrug my shoulders, but just sit there contentedly and be like, yeah, that's what Chiumeni can do. You know, this is who I expect him to be. So I wouldn't say how he played didn't impress me, but it didn't impress me out of the ordinary. What did impress me out of the ordinary was the fact that he he did what he did under mass pressure, right? Because of the Unreal game, but also the fact that Casemiro had left. And if he had dropped a 6 out of 10 performance which, you know, not a disaster class, but not particularly good, who would have eaten him alive. This fan base is this fan base is brutal, right? That's what, what that's what happened. Instead, it was an 8 out of 10, 8.5 out of 10 performance, and he came out of it. And, you know, not to be cliched, but, like, that's a little bit of that Real Madrid mentality or Real Madrid DNA, as you might call it. Like, it's not an easy thing to do, and we'll see how it scales across the entire season. But it's impressive that while that in one game under all of that pressure – and that, that's definitely a good sign that, I mean, we know his quality, but what's his mentality like? And, you know, our first little insight into it in terms of his on-pitch play was, was very positive. Yeah, 100%. I think that's really true. Um, so my my perspective is pretty similar to that in that I think the fan base was looking to come up with some narrative after this regardless. And be it fair or unfair, that is kind of how it works here. And myself, personally, I had decided, obviously, I, I wouldn't judge him on even this game. I, I, I may not judge him until Christmas, to be honest with you. But um, 
I think despite that, despite the fact that I decided I wouldn't have judged him, I had decided that if he were able to show us that his mentality was as strong as advertised in everything he said in the press conferences about Michael Jordan is is his hero, Kobe Bryant is his hero, etc. He he learns from their mentality. He's a winner. He wants to improve every day. All that stuff. Blah blah blah. If he actually backs that up and does cope with the unsurmounting pressure right now, with Casemiro gone and everything falling on his shoulders, if he does come out of that unscathed and plays really well then that's going to be a green flag for me and he did it and I think that was really impressive to me and as we mentioned like we did that podcast yesterday and we brought up examples of so many examples in Real Madrid's history where young players were thrown into the fire and despite them some um, some of them may be taking a while but some of them right away they 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 showed us what they have Raul Vinicius and Quinta de Buitre are great examples of this. So I wanted to see how he would react to that pressure, and I I, I thought he passed that test. Um, all right, what what else do we want to talk about today? What else do we got? Um, anything standing? I don't know out if I'd say Benzema was. I don't know if Benzema was quiet because he did have this at the end, and he was weirdly involved in the fourth goal, but. That wasn't like vintage Benzema, really. I mean, I didn't feel like, you know, he's allowed these types of games, but I didn't feel like he was particularly great today. He had five shots today. Yeah, he had five shots today. He's had 12 shots in the past two games combined. In, I think, normal situations, he would have had, he has one goal and it's from a penalty. I think he would have had like three goals by now if this was a normal Benzema, like just occurrence where... He's outperforming his XG. He had three really great chances today. He could have had a second penalty, which he delegated to Hazard. By the way, where are you on that? Is that... There's people kind of on both sides of the fence on this one. Was it a bad idea to delegate it to Benzema? You mean delegate the penalty to Hazard? Oh, sorry. (laughs) To Hazard? Yeah. I totally messed up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... I mean, I don't know if bad idea. I mean, you're up 4-1. It doesn't really matter, right? And, like, and head-to-head, still the differentiator in La Liga, I should probably know that. I, mean, I don't know if they changed it to goal difference recently, but, like, look, clearly, if you if you see him as a relevant guy and Ancelotti said Hazard will be the false nine back up to Benzema, then, yeah, it probably is a good idea to give it to him. I mean, Ronaldo did it in the 17-18 season. Two of his five league goals in 17-18 with penalties that Ronaldo gave to him at the end of the season. It's just a shame that he couldn't put it away. Like, that's the thing. It, it's a good idea if it works, and now it's just made everything worse now that he's missed. Like, I, that's the only thing that could have dropped his confidence more. And, like, at this point, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much patience I have with it. I have patience a lot of people with it. Like, I joked, you know, I would, I would make Rudiger the backup to Benzema before Hazard. Um, just because it was super opportunistic because well I mean who's the better dribbler now Rudiger Hazard (laughs) you tell me (laughs) Um, so like I I mean I don't know like it is what it is like this is just Hazard's life now at Real Madrid like I I don't know we're gonna try him at false nine it's gonna be kind of like it was what has been before he has some decent link up but I don't think we want to get to the point where we're relying on him because Benzema's injured, you know? So it, it is what it is. Like, he's had no luck. 
and uh, he hasn't helped himself either. I guess that Hazard story at Real Madrid. Yeah, that that's the reality. The reality is that whether we believe in him or not is irrelevant to an extent because he's he's going to be playing important minutes. I think this season he's by necessity. I mean, it's dwindling, and I don't. I'm not even sure if Asensio is even going to be in a team by the time this is all over. This transfer window is over. We'll see. Um, he did have a good turn, I think. I don't. Really, I, I was kind of writing the immediate reaction towards the last few minutes of the game, so I didn't really have many hazard notes. But is, is there anything outside the penalty that we need to discuss that he did? I mean, maybe the one you're talking about is when he like ended up losing the ball afterwards. But like, if it's the same one initially, it was a good turn. I mean, I don't know. Let's see how many touches he actually had, because let's see. Aiden Hazard had eight touches and a 67.7, passing accuracy. So there you go. Yeah, I, I don't really know what else to make of that. I, I, didn't, I didn't really watch it. Um, Asensio had a pretty good chance towards the end um, that he put just wide. <clears throat> um, I don't really have too much else, to be honest. I think we talked about everything that needed to be talked about. Um, did you see the Rudiger, that Rudiger thing that he does, or not Militao thing he does where he falls on the ground and then bounces right back up? I like the backflip and stand thing. That yeah, was it's kind of cool. like, do we have enough of those to make a compilation? He did that uh, last game too, I think. Or, or no, Frankfurt. Maybe it was against Frankfurt. I don't know, <laughs> but you better get to it before Chiringuito does. Yeah, they can have it. I'm not putting together a compilation. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's where we are in the podcast. We're talking about Militao bouncing up off the ground. Um, the last thing I'll say is, if you can find it, the video of Rudiger's run in Arabic commentary, and they just start I, laughing. I watched by it. the end of yeah, it, yeah. and it's just it's just so funny. <laughs> I watched it. It's uh, he starts laughing. He starts like chuckling right when. He he's receiving the pa- the way he's running and he's receiving the pass from Fede because he's got a unique running style. Right? <laughs> he's a gem, man. <laughs> I'm so happy we have him in our team. He's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I think I think I got all my points across. And there's always something we miss, but that's going to be the case no matter what podcast and how many hours we record. There's always something we miss, and someone's going to be screaming into their car while they're driving, they're asking us to address something that we we didn't, we forgot to, but. It is what it is. That's the way the Managing Madrid podcast cookie crumbles. So, um, thanks for uh, doing the show with me. And uh, I'm not sure what the podcast schedule is, on, to be honest, for the next few days. But we definitely have, as you guys know, stuff lined up constantly. And uh, hope you yeah, enjoy it. So, I mean, so tomorrow, Real Madrid Feminino is playing Manchester Big City. Game. And it is the, sec- the second game of first round qualifier. So we have to win this. It's a one game match to be able to progress around two of the qualifiers where we will then play one team in two legged tie like we did last season versus Manchester City. So this is like a rematch in a sense. And so like, yeah, it's a must win tomorrow. And if we do get through, Manchester City could be our most difficult. Okay, we uh, lost Om uh, due to connection issues, so I'm going to make the executive decision just end the podcast here anyway. I will just maybe to just follow up on what Om said. Uh, that game tomorrow is massive, and it's at 3 p.m. Eastern, and that is 9 p.m. 
Spanish European time, uh, Central European time. So tune into that. And also Las Blancas will have you covered on the post-game podcast. That'll go up tomorrow night for free as well. And you'll also have plenty of post-game coverage for that game also on managingmajor.com. Keep it locked, as always, on managingmajor.com. And thank you guys for listening to the show. We will catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening, and have a great weekend. All right, before we wrap it up and send you along on your way, we wanted to give a quick shout-out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managingmajor. But we wanted to give a specific shout-out to our $10-plus patrons, Because if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout-out on the podcast in addition to getting guaranteed responses to your questions. So shout-out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umair Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Royal Bacher, Tarek Goktas, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Sumanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Sherry Soriel, Sheikh Atiri, Shamil, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Samuli Justin, Samir Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odiafari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, um, Nick Ribeiro, next, sorry, Nick Ribeiro. Nelson Mazariego, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Logan Stahl, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toff, Krishna Costa, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Armand Gashi, Armando L., Antons Rudenko, Anirud Singh, Alexis Saniceros, Al, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin Magrur, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. We appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much for your support. We love you all. And Halamari.